0: Hello, Shirley fans, and welcome to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here today to discuss two iconic movies, Alien and Aliens. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Excuse me, sir. It's going to be another bug hunt. Ah. We're on Express Elevator to hell. Going down. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. So we're going to start off with Alien, a movie about an unwanted pregnancy. (laughs) 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 Yes, traumatic, unwanted pregnancy. (laughs) All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are here today to discuss two iconic movies, Alien and Aliens. There are other movies in this franchise, but they do not meet our standards for this (laughs) podcast. And so we will not be discussing them. Only the first two movies. Do you remember seeing either one of these movies, Jason?
1: Okay, yes, I absolutely do. Here's the deal with Alien. Alien came out in 79. I was Uh 6 This was one of those movies that scared the pants off of me, but I knew I had to see it. Yeah. So I was at a friend's house and his parents had rented it. Uh-huh. And we managed to drum up the courage to watch the burster scene. Right. And scared me to death, like Nightmare City, right? Right. Super scary, but thrilling. Yeah. Super exciting.
0: Right. What about you? Okay. So I don't remember seeing Alien at all. I mean, it was I was, I was born in 75. This came out in early or mid-79, so I was only three years old. I didn't see it, but it was kind of like Jaws. It was just kind of part of my conscious. My dad, I know, loved the movie, and seven years later, when Aliens came out, I can remember him taking me to the theater to watch the movie, which was a big deal because I was not allowed to watch rated R movies, Right. but he would go and watch the movie beforehand, make sure there weren't any boobies. The F word was okay for this particular scenario (laughs) because the movie, it was... It's combat scenarios. Right. Well, I mean, it's like my wife and i say you have inappropriateness and funny and if the funny outweighs the inappropriateness then it's okay and in this movie (laughs) the awesomeness far outweighed the inappropriateness of the language and so he brought me in to see it and he was convinced convinced that the alien was going to come to earth through the cat through jonesy oh okay that's interesting so watching it for this podcast i texted you yesterday and i was like oh my gosh The scene where she has to run away, where she's about to escape. The countdown is happening and she has to run away because the alien is standing where she's trying to go in the escape ship. You see the alien's face as she's running back to try to turn off the self-destruct button. And the alien's face is right over the cat's head. And I was just like, this had to be like a fan theory, right? I mean, you've got seven years of time where all kinds of theories develop about what's going to happen with aliens. And so I'm thinking he had to be, he had to be one of those guys who was like, I know I saw the cat's head underneath the alien when she ran off to try to stop the countdown, but I had never seen it before this time.
1: Really? Okay, cool. Well, let me tell you about the time I saw Aliens, okay? So I did not see it in the theater. I don't know how it got past me. I think the summer of 86, I was just all Top Gun and that was it, (laughs) Right. right? So I saw it on HBO the next summer, summer of 87. And I remember the night I had a... A friend came over for a family dinner, and it was one of those things where I probably should have been politely sitting at the table, engaged in conversation, (laughs) but I could not tear myself away from the TV. I am frequently that guy. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I was being rude, but I could not help it. Yeah. Yeah. It blew my doors off. This is one of my all-time favorites.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Before we get going, I just want to point something out. We have been talking to each other now for a couple of years face to face. And one of the reasons that I can do that is because you don't have nose hair. (laughs) <laughs> have you been talking to people and, like, you can't even concentrate on what they're saying because of their nose hair? Absolutely. They, like, talk to you. They like, dangle. <laughs> it dangles, yes. It wiggles. It's, it's a total distraction. Absolutely. And so let me, let me say, if you are one of those guys, we have a product that is supporting the podcast that you need to check out. It's called The Weed Whacker, and it is from Manscaped.
1: It is an amazing product. It trims your nose hair. It's not embarrassing. You just stick it up there. It takes care of it. You're not going to look at people and
0: bother them. Right. And I'm one of those guys who's self-conscious about my nose hair. So somebody that you're going to see me and I'm going to be like yanking them out and wincing in pain, (laughs) don't do that. There is a special thing that they make and they've also just released, in addition to the Weed Whacker, they have just released something called the lawnmower. if you have other areas of your body that you're looking to trim up and I'd like to point out that a giraffe is easier to see in the plains than it is in the forest. Oh, that's
1: that's wonderful. Yes.
0: Yes, it is. So And it's very it's very good around sensitive areas if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they have also an entire shave kit called the Ultra Smooth package. Package. <laughs> <laughs> you get the idea. So, Who it, doesn't want their package ultra smooth? Right, right. So don't forget to go to manscaped.com and use the promo code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Whack it.
1: <laughs>
0: Perfect. I mean, and I, I, I got to say... Bill Paxton was a key part of why this movie stuck in my mind, stuck in my memory. Such a great job. And his first real movie, his first breakout performance. I mean, he had been a part of a couple of other things, but I'm excited to talk about him when we get into casting.
1: Are we talking about Weird Science today, too? Ah, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Let's dive in.
0: Okay, so our story begins in rural Missouri, where Dan O'Bannon grew up. Dan O'Bannon is the author of Alien, and he grew up in a town that was so rural and so small, he didn't even have a telephone until he was 10 years old.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: No library, no TV. Right. His dad ran this kind of curio, weird event weird like you know had one of those rooms that when you stand on one end you look big and stand on the other you look small little tilted room it was just kind of weird and at some point he and his dad created a false ufo sighting (laughs) and got the news to come down (laughs) to this curio so i think that that part of you know imprint moment number one right we talked about imprint moments with prince this imprint moment for dan o'bannon number one fake ufo sighting the news shows up to you know (laughs) to investigate imprint with his mom is that there's no library in the town. So she just orders books and she wants him to read literature, but he loves science fiction. And she's like, it's like us with our kids and the iPhone. like, you're not sneaking that science fiction. Are you get back here? You like, I would love it if my kids just read science fiction. Right. It'd be fantastic. Right. right? So he's got literary background. He's got science fiction and he's got a little bit of crazy with his UFO dad. (laughs) (laughs) This picture of a styrofoam
1: plate landed... (laughs) Three miles outside of town last week.
0: So he ends up going to college. He does stand-up comedy, does makeup for the the theater productions there at his college. Okay. And a little later on, he's reading a Playboy magazine. And the articles are great. (laughs) They are. And he's actually reading the articles. And one of the articles is about the best film schools. Like it's Playboy's pick of the best film schools. He sees that USC is one of those schools. And he's like... I'm going to go to USC. Sure. Why not? And so he goes out to USC and he meets this guy named John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Awesome. Have you heard of him?
1: Uh, yeah. You know, he did the thing and he did Escape, Escape from, from New, New York.
0: York. Yep. Right. He and John Carpenter get together and they make this student film called Dark Star. Dark Star. You know Dark Star, right? It's like the Death Star. So Dark Star is the story of this deteriorating starship, Dark Star. 20 years into its mission of destroying planets. So because they might threaten the future colonization of other planets, sounds kind of similar to another plot line that we're going to talk about today. Right. Yeah. So they're working on this film and O'Bannon does enough work on the film. I mean, he's in it. Number one. Okay. He does all the special effects, which I got to say the the, the spaceship stuff. Great. The alien that they're fighting painted beach ball. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more of it's more of a sci-fi comedy than a sci-fi horror movie. But anyway, he and John Carpenter have this big falling out, and Dan Obannon says, Screw you, I'm gonna go make my own movie. Why is this a big deal since this is just a student film? Well, it turns out that it actually goes to big release. And that's really important because one of the guys who happens to see this movie is a guy named Alejandro Hodorowsky. Okay. So if you don't recognize that name, I'm going to remind you, he came up when we were doing our Canners episode. Wow. Mike was talking about this documentary called Hordorowski's Dune. Hodorowsky was this really weird, like he made some really, really strange movies, but he was the guy who was first enlisted to direct the movie Dune. And it became his passion, his obsession. It was this all-encompassing thing. And he went through this huge, huge development process only to have it ultimately turned down. But in that development process, he's finding people, right? And Mike talked about he's looking for spiritual warriors, so Hodorowsky's looking for a guy to do his special effects and who's the first guy that you should go to. This is back in the seventies. Well, it's gotta be the guy who did the special effects for 2001, a space odyssey. Okay. And that guy's name is Douglas Trumbull. Okay. And he goes and meets with him and Doug Trumbull is like, okay, you know, your ideas are great, but we're just going to do it this way because this is the way that I do things. And Hodorowski is like, uh, this is not my spiritual warrior. I, I gotta, I gotta find somebody else. Right. Leaves talking to him is walking down the street with his friend. They see a movie theater. They're like, let's go watch a movie. The movie they watch dark star. Okay. And so he sees the special effects in dark star. He's like, we need to find out who did this. We need to make this guy, our guy, we need to find him. And the special effects. Dan O'Bannon had done special effects and he had won a Saturn award. And so they were able to locate him and they're like, Hey, we're making this movie, we want you to be in charge of our special effects, sell all your stuff, fly to France, and come make this movie with us. And so Dan Abandon sells all of his stuff, flies to France, and they start making this movie together. Wow. In that process, he meets a couple of really important guys Number one, H.R. Geiger.
1: All right. H.R. Geiger is a very interesting, demented even artist <laughs> who comes up with these incredible paintings that they base the alien on. Yes. They're
0: freaky. Yes. And so he and Dan O'Bannon immediately hit it off because they both have a love for this author named H.R. P. Lovecraft. And as a matter of fact, H.R. Geiger has done illustrations for a book that Lovecraft did called Necronomicon. Yeah. But ultimately, Dune doesn't happen. The studio gets this monumental, like, book of the whole movie that Horowski has put together. And they basically say, no, we're not doing it. And his dream is dashed. And Dan O'Bannon is now broke. He goes back home, except he has no home. He's living on people's couches. And one of the people's couches that he's living on is this guy named Ronald Shusett. Yeah. Ronald Shusett is the guy that he ends up working on the screenplay for the original Alien with. Yes. So he's sleeping on his couch. Shusett is keeping him alive with hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) His wife is
1: working. And these two guys are laying around talking about. Making a movie,
0: right? Well, Schusset had done a movie before. It was called W. Had starred Twiggy. He had produced that movie, so he's not nobody. But it's W by Twiggy. What? No, no, B-de-b-de-b-de-b- yeah, Hello, yeah, oh, right. buck. <laughs> so Dan O'Bannon is working on this script called Memory. Right. And the idea is it's a space adventure horror movie that somehow the aliens are causing the astronauts to forget. That's part of the plot line right there. They're erasing their memory. But all he's got is the first twenty nine pages and the first twenty nine pages are basically. The beginning of the movie Alien. And so the problem is that Dan O'Bannon is having it is he can't think of how to get the alien on board. So he had started, he had started struggling about 24 years old. He had started stu- struggling with Crohn's disease which is an intestinal disease. So he had this idea that he wanted the alien to be unpleasant and come out of a stomach, you know, this kind of miserable experience, right? Ultimately ends up killing Dan O'Bannon. He died from this disease, but anyway, he's, he's got this idea, but he doesn't know how to put it together. And then one night he's sleeping on the couch, Ronald shoots, wakes him up and he's like, I've got the answer. And he's like, "What? Yes, I've got the answer to how the alien gets on board." And he's like, "Oh, oh, you got the answer? Okay, what?" And he goes, "He." F- he's <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he f- him? <laughs> "Yes." He he launches onto his face. He sticks a tube down his throat. He plants his seed while also feeding him air, and that's how it gets in his stomach. And then you can have it come out and then we just got to figure out the rest of your movie. This is genius. This is the biggest, most important part of this whole movie.
1: Okay. So here's my thoughts on this. We talked, I know we're going to dive deep on this, but when they started talking about this idea, they they latched onto it and they're like, this is great. This is super uncomfortable. (laughs) This is like male rape,
0: right? And so that's really like this whole movie. I didn't realize it before is all very much a sexual attack right? It's all very much about rape. It's about rape. It's about rape and pregnancy because of it. It is the underlying subtext of the entire movie. So they they were talking about how they're going to do it. And
1: so he got involved in in studying wasps. There are wasps who
0: lay eggs. Yeah. They lay the eggs inside of like a caterpillar or something like that. I watched some of these videos. Oh my word. It's horrific. (laughs) Like Because the wasp hits the caterpillar and then the caterpillar just keeps on going. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, just got stung by a wasp. Yeah, no big deal. Keep I on going. Guess I'm all right. Yeah. Until like all of a sudden it starts twitching and then things start oozing out its sides and it deflates as the larvae come out after having devoured its intestines.
1: That's about the most unpleasant way to die <laughs> that I can think of.
0: Right. I know we're going to get to
1: it, but the lady who interviewed Ridley Scott after the movie came out, the uh, first critic.
0: Yeah. We listened to Uh, her interview, and she was so offended by this movie. She was so condescending. I'm I'm sitting there watching this thing. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you talk to Sir Ridley Scott in this way? But he wasn't Sir Ridley Scott, right? He was just a guy who had directed his second movie. Right. And she didn't know what was going to happen with it. It was before the movie was released. She was just upset because- it got a little gory.
1: It got way gory for her. Yeah. And and really Scott's like, listen, there's only one scene that's kind of
0: pretty gory, but that's that's it. Yeah. There are scenes where you hear things and where things are suggested, but the only scene where you've got blood is the one chest bursting scene. One scene in the whole movie. But man, it made the whole movie.
1: Ah! Ah! Oh,
0: Absolutely. So after figuring out the facehugger rape, Ron Shusett suggests that O'Bannon use another film idea that he had talked to him about before about, you ready for this? Gremlins on a B-17 bomber during World War II. All right. Interesting. Flashback to our Gremlins episode. Yes. But, you know, change it so it's a spaceship and that make that the second half of the story. So he does that. He's got it put together and he's like, okay, time to call H.R. Geiger. Yeah. And so Geiger is also, you know, I mentioned a fan of Lovecraft. He's done this, done this artwork related to Necronomicon. And he's also inspired by ancient Egypt. The original place where the eggs were found was supposed to be a pyramid. You know this? Do you see this? No. Okay. So it's supposed to be a, a pyramid. And on top of the pyramid is the Egyptian goddess of the night sky. Do you know what her name is? No. Newt. What? Yes. Get out. Right. So they go forward with this script. They've got the the original title. They change it from memory because they took that part out, change it to Star Beast. They brought it to Roger Corman, who said it would be better on a big budget, shop it around and try to find a big budget for it. And if you can't find that, then I'll make it right. This is interesting because it is very similar to a Roger Corman movie from like 1966 called queen of blood. Queen of blood looks like a bad star Trek episode
1: (laughs) where there's a alien, a woman, alien who Uh lays her eggs to kill humanity. Yes. And the, like the, the climactic scene at the end is this guy is like, Oh, check it out. I've got a tray full of jello
0: shots that are her <laughs> eggs. <laughs> right. So Dan is very famous for this quote. He said, I didn't steal from anybody. I stole from everybody. Uh-huh. So here, here's some works of fiction that you are kind of the inspiration points. Okay, You got Seeds of Jupiter, which is a comic where these seeds land on an aircraft carrier. And this guy who's known for putting peach pits in his mouth, they call him Peach Pit. They convince him to put one of these seeds from Jupiter space yeah. in his mouth. And then, of course, he gets sick. They cut him open, a giant alien pops out and then falls into the sea. And they're like, oh, well, we'll never see that again. <laughs> right, of course you won't. Okay, so then there's Death Rattle. This is a space rape taken over by alien. Lovecraft himself had this thing called Mountains of Madness where there are fossils of aliens that come to life in Antarctica. There's a crew that goes down to Antarctica and they're looking and they find these ancient aliens. They end up bringing them back to life. They're indes- Destructible, And I, I noticed when I watched Alien, when they're communicating, when they're trying to communicate with the moon, they refer to it as Antarctica. I was like, whoa, okay, whoa, whoa. Wow. That, that comes straight from Lovecraft's Mountain of Madness. And then, of course, there's the movies. It There was It, The Terror from Beyond Space, which Ridley Scott actually says is one of the movies that inspired him to become a director. One man left after the crew is killed by aliens. They don't believe him, but then they end up, the alien starts killing everybody else inside the vents and stuff. That You got The Thing from Another World, which we know as The Thing, the yeah. original one. Yes. Hatching alien eggs examined in the lab. You've got Planet of the Vampires, where where they find the giant alien corpse. We talked about queen of blood. I mean, you got some older ones too, like them and the black scorpion and the deadly
1: mantis, this idea of being attacked by bugs.
0: Yeah. So all of those movies were kind of B movies, right They' Sure. They are horror sci-fi movies, but they were never like mainstream. And this is, it's interesting. This movie comes out in 1979, which is kind of the tail end of what was called the new Hollywood right? So in the late 60s, there was this big court case, U.S. versus Paramount, where they basically said, all of these movie studios have a monopoly. We're not going to let you own these movie theaters anymore and control all of the distribution production. And what resulted was New Hollywood, where the directors of the movies had a whole lot more say-so about what happened in the movie, which is why you get these phenomenal directors from like 1968 up to 1985. That's when all of these- incredible directors come to life
1: we're talking like lucas scorsese spielberg
0: kubrick coppola yeah that's enough yeah (laughs) that's a pretty good batch right there okay so after roger corman says shop it around they get it to this guy named mark hagar who gets the script to walter hill walter hill has just formed this production company with a couple of other guys called brandywine okay and he reads the script and hates it until he gets to page 30. Okay. And then he's like, oh my gosh, we got to make this movie. So Walter Hill is going to direct the, his production company is going to, is going to produce the movie. And Dan is like, okay, but we've got to get Geiger over here to do the design of the movie because he's my guy right and so dan sends him a letter sends geiger a letter and says we want you to come over we want you to do the design on this and just let us know what it's going to cost and we will send you a thousand dollar check as a retainer to come on over and the guys at brandywine said we don't want to pay this guy a thousand dollars so dan's like then i'll write him a check myself the guy who's living on couches says I will write the thousand dollars myself. That's how important it is to me.
1: Let's talk about the alien for just a second. Okay. That alien is so creepy. It's, it's got the metallic teeth. It's got the double jaw. It's got that nasty slime coming out of its mouth. It's black and slick and looks like a roach, but it's seven feet tall and it's got tails. In it. But they do a great job of hiding it during the course of the movie, which we'll talk about here in a minute.
0: Yeah. So the first thing that Geiger draws for him is not the big alien, but the facehugger. Okay. Just imagine the facehugger. It's kind of like a crab slash. It's like a crab with fingers. Yeah. And a tail. Yes. A deadly tail. Right. And when the guys from Brandywine and Fox see the paintings that Geiger has done, they fire him and send him back home. <laughs> then the guys from Fox get a call from Walter Hill who says, you know what? I've decided I'm not going to direct this movie. I'll I'll see you guys later. You can figure out who you want to direct it, but it's not going to be me. And they're like, Oh crap. What, what are you doing? He's like, Well, oh, I'm gonna go direct this movie called Southern Comfort. Right. Not a bad movie, but it's not alien. I don't think I've seen Southern Comfort. So they are looking for a director, they're looking for actors. They talk to Tom Skerritt and Tom Skerritt turns it down. He says, I get this script, and they're like, and I'm, look, I'm looking, I'm looking at him like, How much is the budget? It's two million dollars. Oh Sounds like an Ed Wood movie. Good luck with that. I'm not in. So fortunately at this time, Ridley Scott has just finished up his first movie.
1: So yeah, The Duelists is Ridley Scott's first movie. We talked about it in our Highlander episode. It's got Harvey Keitel and David Carradine. And these guys are, fighting each other across time.
0: Right. Yes. The inspiration book by, by, about Highlander, except that it's over thousands of years instead of over 15 years. So anyway, Ridley Scott had started off as a trainee set designer for BBC. He was supposed to design the Daleks for Doctor Who, which was a big, huge deal. But because of scheduling conflict, he ended up getting replaced by Raymond Cusick and ultimately decides to form his own production company called Ridley Scott Associates, RS. So what RSA does instead of making movies is they make commercials and they end up making some really successful commercials. They make a Hovis bread commercial that's still regarded as one of the best commercials of all time. And they help revitalize Chanel number five with their commercials. So they're doing okay. They're doing all right. You know, they've got a steady income, but they're looking for scripts. They're looking for something new. And then he sees this movie that you might've heard of called star Wars.
1: Star Wars changed the whole landscape in the 70s. Uh, science fiction was kind of not really known as a moneymaker. People were not interested in doing it. And if it was, it was dystopian. Think Logan's run. Right. It wasn't fun fantasy, shoot them up, moneymakers.
0: So The Duelist came out the same year as Star Wars Scott had intended to do Tristan and Islet, Islay. I don't know how you pronounce that name. Some romantic old, like Romeo and Juliet kind of deal until he saw Star Wars and he realized mm-hmm. the potential for big special effects films.
1: Yeah. As I understand it, when really Scott saw Star Wars, he said, Who the F is George Lucas? <laughs> 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 Here's what I read. I read that Ridley Scott was actually the fifth choice to direct Alien. So you talked about Walter Hill. They also wanted a guy named Robert Aldrick. He did The Longest Yard. Yep. And The Dirty Dozen. And when he turned it down, they, they went to Peter Yates. He did the deep and the movie Kroll, the 1980 fantasy yeah, movie. Krull, yeah, yeah Krull. Uh then they talked to a guy, Jack Clayton. He did the original Moulin Rouge and Moby Dick. Yeah. And then they landed on this young guy named Ridley Scott.
0: Yeah. So Ridley Scott has a guy who produces his movies. They work together all the <clears> time and his name's Ivor Powell. And Ivor says, I'm normally the sci-fi guy back then, right? Like I would I would read it. He wasn't interested in that stuff and, until he saw Star Wars. And then we get this script that comes in called Star Beast. And he's like, here, let me read that. I'm like, you're going to read it first? See, yeah, let me let me read it first. <laughs> so he goes off into like their commercial filming room. And in about 15 minutes later, Ivor Powell hears Ridley Scott go, fuck me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so I'm going to read for you what what caused that. Suddenly, unexpectedly, Broussard grimaces and groans. Standard. What's wrong? Broussard. His voice is straining. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting these cramps. The others stare at him in alarm. Another groan is torn from his lips. He clutches the edge of the table with his hands, his knuckles whitening. Standard, breathe deeply. Broussard, screaming, oh, God, it hurts so bad. Robbie, what? Dell, what? Broussard's face is screwed up in a mask of agony, and he is trembling violently from head to foot. Broussard, incoherent street. Oh, uh, ah! A red smear of blood blossoms on the chest of Broussard's tunic. Their eyes are all riveted to Broussard's chest as the fabric of his tunic is ripped open and a horrible, nasty little head the size of a man's fist pushes out. Everybody screams and leaps back from the table. A cat spits and bolts. The disgusting little head lunges, comes Spurting out of Broussard's chest, trailing a thick worm-like tail, splattering fluids and blood, lands in the middle of the dishes and food on the table, and scurries away while the men are stamping for safe ground. Finally, when they regain control of themselves, it has escaped. Broussard lies slumped in his chair, a huge hole in his chest, spouting blood. The dishes are scattered and the food is covered with blood and slime. Dang. <laughs> F me. <laughs> so that's the chest burster scene. That's the money shot, if you will. Yeah, it is. It is. So, really, Scott is in love and he storyboards the entire movie. Okay. He's got like, it's not a photographic memory. It's it's called something else. Hold on. It's It's called an eidectic memory where basically he can see a picture and remember all of the details of a picture. So he's also a really incredible artist. So he storyboards this entire movie and sends it back to Fox and they say 2 million. How about 10? Yeah. They send it to Tom Skerritt and he says, 10 million and Ridley Scott. I'm in. So Ridley and Dan immediately hit it off, but Ridley still doesn't know what the alien is going to look like. And it's ultimately Dan O'Bannon who brings him the picture that H.R. Geiger has done from the Necronomicon. And as soon as Ridley Scott sees it, he says, that's it. That's what we're doing. I've never been so sure of anything in my life. And then the guys at Fox, when they hear that he's trying to bring Geiger back, is like, hey, uh, maybe we can kind of throw some ideas around and talk about it. And really, Scott says, no, this is what's going to happen. This is going to be hard enough to film as it is. And we don't have time for your BS. This is what we're going to do. And the guys at Fox say, yes, sir. <laughs>
1: And that was a huge decision because the, like we talked about, the alien is so fantastic in this
0: movie. So Ridley Scott is on, Geiger is back, Dan O'Bannon is there, and they're all working together, and they start filming. You ready to talk about aliens? Let's
1: talk about aliens. Okay. Which is going to be a little tricky because being a direct sequel, we're leaning on the success of the first movie. So there's some things that we need to talk about Nab. We'll call it a flash forward. Flash forward. Okay.
0: Flash forward. Alien is a monumental success.
1: Alien does so good that they try to put a sequel into place right off the bat. Yeah. However, our main man, Alan Ladd Jr. at Fox Studios, this is the same guy who went with George Lucas on Star Wars. Right. So he had star Wars as a massive hit. He had alien as a massive hit. He leaves. And the guy who came in and replaced him that wasn't really interested in doing a sequel.
0: Yeah. No, it was Norman Levy. And he was like, no, it's going to cost too much. And sequels don't really make any money. Um, Did you see Empire Strikes Back? Did you see Return of the Jedi? What are you talking about, bro? This guy's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: we have to wait long enough for him to clear out.
0: Okay. So they end up hitting David Guiler, who's one of the members of the Randy Wine Productions. They see him in the parking lot and they're like, hey, do you want to make Alien 2? And he's like, yes, we've been trying to do that for a while now. And he's like, okay, what's your storyline? And he's like, oh, I'm... And so he makes, this is what he does. He combines the ideas of alien and Southern comfort. And that's the thing he pitches. Yeah, Yeah. So it is, it is aliens with soldiers, right? That's still the Southern comfort is a soldier movie. And then we have alien. And so really he was right that is is what he it becomes but it was just off the cuff well, i'll throw two movies together that i know and <laughs> soldiers and aliens yes and so 20th century fox says that sounds good let's make it happen let's
1: backtrack just a little bit okay yeah there's this uh truck driver from canada <laughs> who comes into play well, here pretty well yeah uh his name is james cameron
0: Yeah, he had not done particularly well in school. He ended up dropping out of college, becoming a truck driver. And then also he happened to see a movie. I guess there may be a few folks that saw this movie called Star Wars. Star Wars. And he said, I want to go make movies. Yes. And so he goes and starts working for our
1: friend. Roger Corman. He gets a job as a production assistant for Roger Corman. James Cameron starts to take over. As you know, he's a super talented guy. And uh, one of the things that he does is figure out ways to save money on this Roger Corman project that he's working on called Galaxy of Terror.
0: Right. Which was a ripoff. Of of Alien. Of Alien. Yes. And you, my friend, you bit the bullet again.
1: I watched this movie. It's available on Tubi TV
0: for free. (laughs)
1: For free? For free. And I can barely. It's (laughs) incoherent and really weird. Joni Cunningham, uh, Aaron Moran from Happy Days is kind of the main one. Joni? Joni and Chachi. Oh, my gosh. But on that set, Jim Cameron is in charge of building sets. Mm -hmm. He meets a young uh, guy who says, hey, I'm here. uh, I'm supposed to be working for. He's like, what's your name? Bill Paxton. Bill, grab a paintbrush. He's like, I haven't even been hired yet. Go paint that wall. (laughs) So that's when James Cameron meets Bill Paxton.
0: Right. And so he had done some other work, some other work with Roger Corman, including a sequel to a movie that we talked about when we were talking about Gremlins. You remember that Joe Dante had directed a Jaws knockoff called Piranha. Yes. James Cameron was actually involved with the sequel to that.
1: Okay. So here's what happened with that. He got that job because there's a scene in galaxy of terror where a guy gets, for some unknown reason, this piece of crystal crawls up his arm and he's got to cut his own arm off, right? right. So the dude lops off his arm uh-huh. and on the ground and then it becomes consumed with these worms. Okay. Yeah. They would put these millworms on the arm and they wanted them to wiggle, but they wouldn't wiggle. So James Cameron's like, well, I think if you just plug in this wire to this end and you run electricity through that prop. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, let's give it a try. And sure enough, the mealworms are like, they come alive and they start wiggling. And the, there's guys on the set that day.
0: Do mealworms fall within the PETA? Like, protected? <laughs> we're going to zap some mealworms.
1: Yeah. So, but there were some guys there that were uh, Italian filmmakers yeah. who are looking for somebody to come work on Piranha 2. And they're like, that dude right there, the guy who figured out how to do that, that's the guy we want. All right, everybody, I just want to formally invite you to come over and listen to our side project, the Podcast Bullet Kryptonite, with Mr. John Reed from the 30-something movie podcast, and, of
0: course, you and me, D. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. We are the Super Friends.
1: That's right. We cover the TV show Superman and Lois. We go over every episode. We have a great time, and John knows so much
0: about Superman. It's amazing. If you love Superman, or even if you don't, and you just want to learn more, come check it out. And if you haven't watched Superman and Lois yet, you need to. Right now. Crawl out of your fortress of solitude and turn the TV on.
1: (laughs) Podcast for the Crypto
0: So James Cameron goes
1: to Jamaica to make this movie called Piranha 2. Have you ever seen Piranha 2? No, I haven't. It's terrible. (laughs) Okay. You watched that too? It's terrible. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: I've seen it. Yeah, it's terrible. The Italian filmmaker wanted credibility, so they had to have an American director. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, he was known for bringing on American directors so that they get financing then firing them and then directing it themselves. Oh. And so they fired James Cameron during the middle of the production. Oh,
0: man.
1: But because James Cameron had no money, they even said, well, we know we fired you, but can you make the poster for the movie? <laughs> and he's an incredible artist, right? Yeah. He is an incredible artist. Yeah. Yeah. So he makes the poster. He draws the poster for Piranha 2.
0: So he had worked on a few movies other than Piranha 2. He'd he'd worked on Exogenesis. He'd worked on Rock and Roll High School. He actually worked as a special effects guy for John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Did he? Okay. Yeah. So while he's going through this horrible experience on Piranha 2, he's having nightmares. He's having nightmares about a hitman who is coming to try to kill him, and he can't escape from the Hitman, and the Hitman is from the future. This robot Hitman, which he later
1: writes into a screenplay called The Terminator, which we're going to talk about here in a couple of weeks.
0: Yep. Yep. So Terminator, Terminator 2, coming up in a couple of weeks, they are all married together, these four films. It's going to be hard gonna, to unpack all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to put them all together. So he develops this script idea. He gives it to this girl that he knew from working with Roger Corman. Her name is Gail Ann Hurd. And she's like, I think I can get this made into a movie. So we won't go into the history of Terminator too much because we've got that one coming up. But safe to say, they get it greenlit. They get Arnold Schwarzenegger as their star player in this movie, but then Dino De Laurentiis sticks his nose in and says, I have preemptive rights, and Conan the Barbarian is successful, and we are going to make Conan the Destroyer, and so you can't have him yet. Right. And so they're stuck. They've got to wait for like nine months. And so he doesn't have enough time to make a movie, but he's had these guys from Brandywine Productions hit him up about writing a script. And that's how he ends up writing the script for the movie, Aliens. Remember, Dino De Laurentiis,
1: flashback to our Flash Gordon episode. Yeah, Flash to Flash. (laughs) That's right. But imagine being a a first-time director Uh and you land Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and then some big name bozo from, <laughs> from Flash Gordon decides that, nope, I'm going to flex my muscles and he's going to make my movie first. You're going to have to wait. Yeah. So that opens up a pocket of time where he can't really make a movie, but he can take on a writing project. Yeah. And that's when Fox comes to James Cameron and said, you know what? We really like what we read in your script about the Terminator. Why don't you give a stab at, at aliens? They also say, why don't you give a stab at Rambo? part two, which he does as well. So he writes Aliens, but he doesn't finish it. He writes the first 90 pages. The president of 20th Century Fox, his name is Lawrence Gordon. He reads the first 90 pages Mm -hmm. and he's like, this is amazing. We will wait. For a movie studio to do that, that's really unheard of. Right. And this is his quote. I thought this was great. He said, in this business, there are those decisions that you agonize and you lose sleep over. But this was so obvious. This was a no brainer. Everything about him spelled right guy.
0: Nice. So here's what has confused me until just today, actually, is when I discovered the answer to this is why didn't they have Ridley Scott come back and direct? Why didn't they? Well, the answer is we don't know. They, They just didn't ask him. I mean, that's, that's it. That's flat out it. I mean, it's, you know, like the movie came out in 86. So they're, they're going through this process in 85. That's six years later, he's moved on. He's not a big fan. This is, this, this is his quote, right? This is Ridley Scott here. He says, interestingly enough, I was never asked to do the sequel, maybe because I was such a tough guy when I was doing it. They didn't want me back. But I was also in the habit of not wanting to do a sequel either, so I would have never done it. Well, that's what he said in 2019. Before that, he had put it a little more simply. I was really pissed off, frankly, that they didn't ask me. I understand that. They just didn't ask. And who knows what their motives were? And I can see if Fridley was the guy who's like, screw you, we're not going to go talk about ideas for production. We're bringing in H.R. Geiger, and that's the end of the story, and we're going to go start filming now. He is that tough guy. He's the guy who got Gladiator greenlit with 30 pages of script. (laughs) Maybe they didn't want to work with that guy anymore. Maybe they wanted to work with the new guy who they thought they could push around a little bit. But they were probably wrong about James Cameron in that respect.
1: Yeah. James Cameron, no pushover himself. Here's the thing with James Cameron. Most people don't understand. He's so talented that he knows your job. He can do your job better than you. Yeah. I mean, he's an incredible artist. He's an incredible filmmaker. He writes screenplays. And he worked as like the behind the scenes guy in every job
0: position. He's painted walls. He,
1: <laughs> he painted a Big Mac styrofoam McDonald's burger holder on the wall to save money. <laughs> so this guy has done everything. And you, Jackweed, who are screwing around over there,
0: right.
1: I can do your job better than you. Move over. Right. Here's the deal. So the alien people decide to wait. 20th Century Fox says, we love what you're doing with Terminator. We love the script for Aliens. We're going to wait. And James Cameron says, well, that's great. When I get done with Terminator, can I direct aliens? Yeah, And they're like, well, why don't we just see how Terminator goes first? Right. Well, Terminator is this fantastic movie. It's a huge success. Right. It was made on the cheap.
0: Yeah. And so they came back and they're like, hey, remember you guys said we could do this. Right. But when they say that, everybody else, all James Cameron's friends are like, don't do this. Right. He's like, "What?" He's like, "I was a fanboy. Like, I loved the movie Alien and love Ridley Scott's take on it and I was excited to do it but people were like, if you do this, everything that's good about the movie, people are going to attribute to Ridley Scott and everything that's bad about the movie, they're going to attribute to you." And he's like, "I don't care. It's going to be really cool, so <laughs> I really want to do it." I mean, this is like me. If I was making a movie, I'm like, "I don't care." Right. Want, I mean, if you were offered the opportunity to direct the sequel to one of the movies that you hold dear in your heart, nobody's going to talk you out of it. Yeah.
1: I mean, Alien turns out to be one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Right. And James Cameron is known as one of the best action directors of all time.
0: Yeah. And that's what he, that's what he does is he's like, I don't think I can out horror Ridley Scott's Alien. I can't do it. It's too it's too well paced and i mean this i'll talk about this more when we get into production on on alien but it is slow slow punch in your face right slow slow scream in your face and it's it's the perfect horror combo it lulls you into this kind of relaxed state and then it scares the crap out of you right and james cameron said i'm not going to try to outdo that i don't want to make a sequel to it i want to make part two of the story right and the only instruction he was given by those guys when they said, go write the script was alien plus soldiers. And he's like, action. I got it. I can do action. Yeah, I can. I know how to do action. So we're not going to make a horror movie. We're going to make an action movie. And that's exactly what aliens is. Wow. we ready to talk cast. Let's talk cast.
1: Okay. We well, let's flip back to alien, the original alien and yeah. talk cast. Okay.
0: So we've already talked about Tom Skerritt, right? He played the part of Dallas, one of the first guys that got cast. He had spent four years with the U.S. Air Force after finishing at UCLA. His call sign was Viper, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very good i knew you'd get that reference thank you he had done I, it's it's interesting these guys have all done like these old uh you know nick at night style shows he was on my favorite martian at some point whoa uh, yeah he was in mash he was in harold and maude he played strawberry in the movie up in smoke <laughs> and so he gets the part of dallas yeah you know who he got it over no they offered it to
1: harrison ford Get the heck out. Harrison Ford in 1979. This is right after Star Wars had come out. Right. And he had done just a few things. So he basically was known as Han Solo. Yep. You know who else they asked? No. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. Ooh. Yeah, I could see that too. When they went to Tommy Lee Jones, they said, hey, we want you to read the script. We think you'd be good for this guy named Dallas. He reads the script. And he's like, I'll tell you what. I do like one of the parts. I want to be the alien. <laughs> They're like, man, eh, nope. He's like, well, then I'm
0: out. Wow. Okay. Okay. We've got a Sir John Hurt playing the part of Cain, the guy whose chest burst open. He had done. He had done a lot of Shakespeare stuff. He had done A Man for All Seasons. He had he played Caligula and I Claudius. He was the voice in the animated Lord of the Rings of Aragon Strider. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. He played, he also voiced Hazel in Watership Down, the old scary rabbit cartoon. Yes. And of course he reprised this role later on in Spaceballs.
1: Oh no, not again. Hello, my honey. Hello, my baby. (laughs) Hey, he got this job over the weekend. Okay. Uh So the original guy that they hired, I believe his name is John Finch. Okay. So they had hired a guy Mm -hmm. to play his part. Yeah. That guy got sick. Started having cramps, chest pain. No. <laughs> he, <laughs> but he had gotten sick, and so he had Somebody to leave. this guy pepped a This dude is a So they called him on a Friday and said, we need you on set Monday morning. Okay. Note that, because that mm. takes place in Aliens as well. Yeah. Okay. So John Hurt comes aboard and is hired over the weekend.
0: Okay. Then they have Sir Ian Holm playing the part of Ash. Bring back life for Priority One, or well, the priorities rescinded. Who was in the other Lord of the Rings as Frodo? Um, he had also he was a Shakespeare guy. He had also been in the British Army. He was a lance corporal there, but Alien was his first major film role. But I mean, we've seen him in a ton of stuff, right? Yeah, he goes on to do Brazil and he was Polonius in Hamlet. And then, of course, he is Bilbo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and a little bit in The Hobbit.
1: He also reprises his role as Ash in the video game
0: Alien Isolation. Yeah, I noticed that almost all of these actors come back in for the video game. Next in line, we have Yafet Koto. This is a commercial ship, not a rescue ship. Right. It's not my contract to do this kind of duty. Whose real well, name's Parker. But really? Yeah, he took his dad's name. He just died last March. It's kind of tragic. But do you know what movie he was the bad guy in? Say
1: live and let die.
0: He was the bad guy in Live and Let Die. Yeah, that was a pretty awesome part. And he's done hes done quite a bit of other stuff. was in Hawaii 5 and he was considered for the part of Jean-Luc Picard when they did Star Trek New- really? Next Generation. Yeah, lost out to Sir Patrick Stewart. <sighs> interesting all right and then we've got one of my favorite guys like there's a quote i think it was i think it was by roger ebert that says if harry dean stanton has a part in a movie it's probably a good movie and it's pretty solid harry dean stanton played the part of brett back to the old freezerinos (laughs) he also served in the navy in real life okay and he was in world war ii actually uh, was a cook during the Battle of Okinawa. He was in Cool Hand Luke. He was in Godfather Part Two. And as far as those Naked Night shows goes, he was in Have Gun Will Travel. He was Jack Nicholson's best man in
1: 1962.
0: Wow! How About that, that is cool. Deep cuts.
1: So here's what he said when he met Ridley Scott for the first time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they asked him to come read for this part. The movie's called Alien or star beast i'm not sure (laughs) what it was called at the time right this is what he said when he walks in not hey how are you not good to meet you he says i don't like science fiction or monster movies Uh uh-huh he's like well that's okay because you're kind of playing a
0: trucker (laughs) yeah Yeah, this is the space trucker movie and then who is cast in the part of ellen ripley but veronica cartwright (laughs) that's right right Yeah. yeah
1: It's moving
0: right towards you. That, yeah, it was a total shock. So Veronica Cartwright was not originally cast as Lambert. She was cast as Ripley. And it was literally right before they started making this movie that suddenly she got her parts changed. Yeah, she didn't
1: even know until she showed up for like the first day.
0: Yeah, Ridley Scott switched the roles, but she ended up getting the Best Supporting Actress Award, Saturn Award on this movie. So that's not a bad switch. She had been on Leave It to Beaver when she was a little girl. Wow. She was in The Birds, which is pretty impressive. Alfred yes. Hitchcock, right? And she was she had started to become famous again in her adult years as invasion Be- in invasion of the body snitchers, which she did right before this movie. Interesting. So the person that ultimately gets cast as Ripley is this young actress named Sigourney Weaver. Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die. Look,
1: the open the damn hatch? We have to get him inside. I read you. The answer is negative. Yes. Well,
0: her name is Susan. Her real name is Susan. Yes. My, my son, my 16 year old is when we were talking about that movie, he was like, her name is Sigourney. Really? Like, Some parents saw a little cute little baby and they went, oh, let's name it Sigourney. (laughs) He's got a point. No, that's not what happened. They named her Susan, but she decided, um, you know what? I don't like the name Susan. I like the name Sigourney. She picked it up from Great Gatsby, I think. The Great Gatsby. That's right. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing about that. Yeah.
1: Not only did she beat out Veronica Cartwright for that part, she beat out Meryl Streep. Oh, wow. And Meryl Streep and Sigourney Weaver went to college together. They both went to Yale. Yeah. They were both in the Yale drama department. Yeah. And they both, like Sigourney Weaver was the, she was always kind of the other girl. Right. Meryl Streep was like the prom queen and, you know, the main person. Uh And so she was always kind of, you
0: know, second, but she beat Meryl Streep out for this part. Nice. Nice. So Sigourney Weaver hit five foot, 10 and a half inches when she was 11 years old. <laughs> she could have played the alien. Yeah. Her dad is Pat Weaver, who was president of NBC from 1953 to 1955 and created the today show. Her uncle doodles Weaver was, Doodles Weaver was a comedian and a contributor to Mad Magazine. Wow. Yeah. Spy versus Spy. Or... Yeah. I don't know. If <laughs> she had had a small part in Annie Hall before she got cast in the movie Alien, but I'm so glad that she ended up getting switched out with Veronica Cartwright.
1: All right. We got one other person we got to talk about. Okay. Not Jonesy, not the cat Jonesy. We're talking about the guy who played the alien. Dallas? Yes. Balaji Badeo. It's, it's easy for you to say. Uh, well, <laughs> here's the deal. Yeah. I don't know very much about him.
0: I know he's from another country. He's from Nigeria. And he's seven foot one. In the costume. In the costume, he was seven foot one. His real height was six ten, which okay. is still. <laughs> I mean, once you get past like six six, who cares anymore, right? Not
1: sure why he wasn't <laughs> playing professional basketball. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he beat out
0: Peter Mayhew. Oh wow, who you know better as Chewbacca. Yeah. So um, yeah, he was discovered in a bar. Like they found him just somebody was in a bar, and they're like, Holy cow, look at that guy. He is six foot ten inches tall and probably weighs 150 pounds. He was he was so thin. I think that's probably why Mayhew didn't get the part, is he was a little beefier guy. Yeah. But they needed somebody who it looked absurd how long and slender the appendages were. And this was their guy. He didn't do anything else after this. He was a graphic designer. He was like studying graphic design, ended up becoming a graphic designer. Tragically died at 36 years old from sickle cell anemia. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Okay. So we ready to talk about casting for the movie aliens. Let's talk casting on aliens. All right. first thing that i've got to say is i watched i watched aliens again this morning and i looked at the opening credits and it is a travesty that jeanette goldstein is not in the opening credits with all of the other actors what i know like she is one of the most compelling characters in the movie she's in the movie longer than almost everybody else except for our main like four folks her name doesn't even show up at the beginning it's tragedy. Wow. I loved. She was, she was, eye magnet for me. Like every time she was on screen, I was engaged. And yes, she's pretty, but she just she had a toughness and a coolness about her, and she played the part fantastic.
1: So Jeanette Goldstein, we might as well talk about her. She yeah. plays the part of Vasquez. Yes. Yo, Vasquez, kick ass, right? <laughs> have you ever been uh, mistaken for a man? No. Have you? <laughs> Right? She plays super tough. I only need to know
0: one thing. Where they
1: are. Yeah. But when I watch Jeanette Goldstein in her interviews, yeah. she's very soft, very sweet. I mean, soft-spoken, nice, even.
0: Clean American accent. Yes. Does, she Doesn't have a hint of Hispanic accent she, in her.
1: They tanned her up. They yeah. gave her brown contact lenses. Yep. They cut her hair short. Yep. Uh, Gave her a bandana and told her to act Hispanic,
0: you know? She nailed it. And to act friggin' tough. Yeah, and she's, I mean, the guns that those guys were carrying around, they weighed like 50 pounds. Uh I mean, they picked her in part because she was pretty buff at the time that she auditioned. She was buff. Um, There's this rumor going around that she auditioned for the part because she thought the movie Aliens was about illegal aliens, and that's how that line got in there.
1: Right, right. Somebody said
0: alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. (laughs) but i think that's a mess
1: yeah she is the person who's like no that's not true that was in the script yeah she did say however that she came to the audition not fully prepared and so she had lipstick and makeup and she looked pretty and dressed up
0: high heels yeah. and
1: everybody else had on fatigues and everything else right she's like whoops (laughs) so aliens yes jim cameron's like this is the story of ripley Right. We got to have Sigourney Weaver come back. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Yes. Okay. And Sigourney Weaver says, you know, I don't really
0: like to do sequels, but
1: when she read it, she's like, this is fantastic.
0: Yeah. I'm game. I'm in. Yeah, it's interesting. Like she went to him and talked to him about his script and she didn't have a problem with the stories storyline, but she was like, I feel like Ellen Ripley would not say or do some of these things. And James Cameron went with it. Like he was like, I, you, you know, the character. Better than I do, probably. Yep. So, yeah, I'm willing to make those changes. So he changed his script to fit with what she perceived as the character of Ellen Ripley. He said that she was like
1: unbending on certain words that she would say uh-huh. in, in certain sentences. Yeah, but on the other hand, she's like, "You really nailed the Ripley character." So he's like, "Yeah, fantastic, thanks." Yeah. yeah. So she wanted a million bucks to do aliens. Okay. And Fox said, mm. "Nope, not doing it." Okay. Uh huh. So James Cameron's like come on guys. This is the story of, of Ripley. We have to have Sigourney Weaver. Right. So he devises this plan. Okay. So they come to him and they're like, no, you got to figure out a way around this. So he calls his new buddy's agent, Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) calls his agent. And he's like, Listen, I don't think Fox is going to go for this Scorning Weaver thing. She's asking for you a million bucks. And so I'm just going to have to totally write her out of the story. Well, her agent was at that firm and they were like, he's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute. Let me, let me make some calls. He's like, no, 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 no. It's already been, it's already been decided. I'm just going to write her out and do something else because they won't bend. They won't pay up. Mm -hmm. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's boss is like, listen, man, I've let me, let me make some calls. So by this time, Arnold Schwarzenegger and his agent had a lot of clout. Uh, yeah, and so they're like, "Listen." They call Fox. Fox calls Sigourney. Says, "We've rethought that. You're worth it." She calls Jim and says, "Thank you." Wow. So he he pressed them.
0: Yeah, and got it. Got her. Hustled a little bit. There. He did. It was a little bit of a, a hustle. I like uh-huh, it. I uh-huh. like it. I like it.
1: They hired Bill Paxton. Maybe you have not been keeping up on current events, but we just got our asses kicked, pal. He had done weird science. Mm-hmm. He was a friend of James Cameron. Yep. and they wanted him to do the part of hudson he thought he tanked
0: the, <laughs> the audition too he thought he was like i was too over the top i just knew i had messed it up he
1: said they gave him a mailing tube and said this is your pulse rifle <laughs> go he's like yeah yeah f you man oh you want some you know uh-huh. he did that whole thing and then he left he's like that that sucked
0: yeah so and then he got a call
1: then he got a call they also hired paul riser who is a a comedian yeah to play the villain
0: maybe we could build a fire sing a couple of songs huh yeah he was he's if you want a villain that you're surprised as the villain he's great because he's got he's got a sweet demeanor he's got a sweet face that you know he's he's never picks up a gun right yeah he's just this easy-go-lucky kind of everything's gonna be okay we're gonna be all right he's that guy except he's a snake
1: Right. He said when he watched this on the screen, his mother was with him. Yeah. And at the end of it, she smacked him in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hysterical. They also hired James Remar, who you may know from the movie 48 Hours.
0: Yeah. Which Walter Hill was the director of 48 Hours. One of those Brandywine guys, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, He plays the part of Hicks. No, he doesn't.
1: Well, he does for (laughs) one second. He's actually on screen very, very briefly. Okay. You can actually see him. They ended up having to fire him. Uh, uh, rumor was that there was creative differences, but basically he had an alcohol and drug problem. Oh. So they had to let him go. Okay. But there is one scene in the movie where they're like, Hey, that's James Remar right there. But his it's his
0: back. Okay. So the guy mm-hmm. that actually played Hicks, this is the story that you referred to earlier where it's like, Hey, uh, you got your passport. Yeah. Michael bean.
1: I'd like to keep this handy. For Close Encounters. Yeah. He had starred in The Terminator as Reese. Yep. And he had a working relationship with Jim Cameron. They needed somebody right this second. Uh-huh. They called him up. Gail Heard called him and said, do you have your passport? And he's like, yeah. She's like, great. Be in London Monday morning. You
0: got to park. Right. Now, all these other actors had been training military style together for weeks, and they had trained with this other guy. And then Bean shows up, and he's like, I didn't have to do anything. <laughs>
1: I guess I'll just act. Yeah. Here's the uh, here's the interesting one that I think Al Matthews. All right,
0: sweethearts, you heard the man and you know the drill, assholes and elbows. Hudson, come here.
1: Come here. Right? Yeah. 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 He plays Al Apone.
0: Yes. He was in the Marines. He was in the Marines and he was a sergeant in the Marines. He was one of the first Black men promoted, maybe the first, to some position of corporal. I can't remember what it was. But here's the interesting thing that was going on. They were filming. Full Metal Jacket at the same time that they were filming this movie and they were like close together. Right. And in Full Metal Jacket, you've got R. Lee Emery's first performance. And he also mm-hmm. was a military guy playing a military sergeant. And in both movies, they say asses and elbows. <laughs> <My> <laughs> but assholes those those- and elbows. elbows. Yes, <laughs> sorry. And so those guys, like the, the guys from... Full metal jacket and the guys from Aliens would get together and party after shooting in the evening. They would hang out together. It was, it's fantastic. This is hilarious. So I had a friend who uh, was telling
1: me that Al Matthews is now a gospel singer, right? Yeah. And I was rolling through some of his greatest hits, right? Yeah. Every day in the Marines is like a parade, right? <laughs> Look into my eye, but his best hit is Assholes and Elbows. <laughs> I'm
0: just kidding (laughs) okay all right so william hope is the guy who played lieutenant gorman yes the the pendejo right yes (laughs) um he had actually gotten cast in full metal jacket but turned it down to go be in alias okay and then we also have lance henrickson who played the part of bishop i may be synthetic but i'm not stupid Lance Hendrickson had been in Piranha 2. He played the sergeant or the
1: sheriff in Piranha 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> James Cameron, in order to make him look like a sheriff, yes, they found a save the whales button. <laughs>
0: That became his sheriff's badge. Oh my God. Uh, total B movie. So he had actually said he had made a little promise to himself. He says, if this movie doesn't make me famous, I'm going to quit acting. Yeah. Like this, I'm done. I've had enough B movie roles. I'm done with acting unless this is a big success. And well, it's his biggest success. He was in
1: stone cold with Brian Bosworth. Oh,
0: i was happy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then we have for the part of little Newt, little Egyptian goddess of the sun. Her name is Rebecca. <laughs> Nobody
1: calls me Nobody Rebecca calls you. except my brother. Uh, her Her name is Carrie Hen. We better get back because it'll be dark soon and they mostly come at night. Mostly. Yeah, and she had no acting experience. Yeah. They need to find somebody who could do American. Mm-hmm. Her dad was stationed over there. He was in the air force. Yep. Her mother was English. Yep. Every kid who came in and read had done like commercials. Yeah. And so Gail Ann Hurd said that they would deliver a line and then smile and smile. Yeah. Yeah. No Kellogg's cereal. It's great.
0: <laughs> it's frosted flakes, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she but she hadn't had any acting experience but ends up going over there to audition and she doesn't know that she's supposed to smile at the end and so she doesn't yep and that gets her the part yep her little british accent comes through every once in a while during the movie
1: she has a distinct accent
0: yeah you can hear it my wife and
1: i say this to each other all the time it's one of her most quotable lines it's uh they only come out at night mostly Mostly, mostly. (laughs) So, anytime we say mostly, it's it turns into that.
0: Yeah. So that the Carrie Hinn was that actress, but she didn't do anything else. Uh, She went on to become like an English teacher. She's a teacher. She's a fourth grade teacher. She teaches kids
1: who are newts age.
0: (laughs) There you go. Yep. Rebecca Jordan. Okay. There's one guy who we haven't mentioned, but I just gotta I gotta throw it out there. Okay. Okay. So. In the beginning, when she's when Ripley is in the boardroom trying to tell everybody what's happened, and they're accusing her of wasting you know forty two bajillion dollars or whatever, right? The boardroom guy, like the the main executive guy, uh-huh. is Paul Maxwell. Okay, Do you remember Last Crusade? He's on the ship, and he gets. Harrison Ford gets punched in the face and they're fighting over this cross. Yeah. Yeah, the guy in the white hat who's like the king bad guy. Same guy. It belongs in a museum. (laughs) So do
1: you, Dr. Jones. That guy? That guy. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, that's a good one right there. Thank you.
0: Okay, so next week we will get back into production and talking about the storylines and the deep meaning behind these two movies and their complete awesomeness. And then we'll talk post-production and then we will move on to Terminator versus Terminator 2. Come back next week
1: where we'll finish up and give our final judgment. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over.